0: You're you're, you're listening to the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. (laughs) I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM, L.I. News Radio presents the Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. We are back,
1: ladies and gentlemen another show of the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host. Speedy the Maniac PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. There is no Islander game this week on Saturday, so we are live and in profile for all your fans and all our fans on 103.9. Anyways, we have a great show lined up for you guys. We have a guest this week, and we're very happy to get him on the show. We will be talking to pro football focus NFL reporter Doug Kite. So we'll be talking a little bit about the NFL, the Jets, the Giants, everything that's going on. All the craziness in the NFL and the trade deadline with Von Miller going to the Rams, upgrading the defense. We will get into the Odell Beckham saga. He is now an L.A. Ram. We'll go through the league in week nine, and some of the unbelievable losses, unbelievable well, there were two upsets, and one with the Buffalo Bills and the Jacksonville Jaguars. An absolute upset. Upset of the decade. We will get into the Yankees and the Mets and what they're going to be doing. Winter meetings coming up. There might be a strike. What happens to baseball if there is a strike? Hockey. The New York Rangers are one of the hottest teams right now in the NHL. And the Islanders, even though they barely played any games, in how many home games have they played this year so far? I would say a lousy goose egg. So they opened up the USB Arena with Shaquille O'Neal. Why is Shaq over there? Who knows? They'll be playing their first home game this coming week at the USB Arena. So that's exciting for any Islander fan that has been waiting for this for the last two years. So that's definitely something to look forward to. Hopefully that will take the Islanders to that next level where teams and players from all different parts of the country and the world is going to want to play here. With a new stadium, new ice, new everything, it's going to be fun to watch. I so, scouting
2: out highlights for Shaq a fool
1: for the Islanders' 4-0 loss to the Devils. Probably. <laughs> what are you, trying to take shots at the Islanders? Oh, you brought up Shaq. I knew you were going to take shots at the Islanders. And by the way, I called that shutout. Within five minutes of the game, I was watching with Tyler Harrison, our co-host on the Sports Mounts, and I told Tyler, I will bet you that the Islanders will get shut out of the game. And what did they do? They got shut out 4-0 against the New Jersey Devils. So five minutes in the game. I just didn't think that the Islanders were going to put the puck in the net. So we'll get into the Islander woes, even though it's still very early in the season. I think the Islanders will figure things out. This is a very good team. And we'll get into Ben Simmons possibly going to... The Celtics. The Boston Celtics. And a lot of Boston fans that listen to our show throughout the week take shots at Ben Simmons, say he's a lousy player... Who would have thought that the Boston Celtics would be the lead team to get them? So much to talk about the Knicks, the Nets... Just all around sports. So why don't we get into it before we get Doug Kite on the show. So let's get into the NFL. Throughout the last couple of weeks, we've been hearing a lot of stories coming out from Cleveland with Odell Beckham. And Baker Mayfield with his injuries, his shoulder injury. He plays. He doesn't play. He sits out for a half. He comes back the second half. This team has not been the prolific offensive team that we thought they were going to be this year. Maybe it's because of injury, because Chubb's been injured and Hunt, and this is a running team. Or maybe it's just Odell Beckham now healthy in the lineup and really ruining the chemistry of this team. Now, I don't blame one player on chemistry. Just like saying when you have a quarterback, the quarterback wins a Super Bowl, a.k.a. Tom Brady, all the Tom Brady lovers. Tom Brady's the reason why they won six, seven championships. Or Tom Brady's the reason why Tampa won the Super Bowl last year. That's not true. It takes a team. The NFL is an ultimate team game. It's ultimate Football. And I say this because in every other sport, when you look at basketball, you don't need a top-end coach. You do need two top-end players, but you don't need a full-edge team to win a championship. We've seen teams win it with one or two superstars. With hockey, you need a good coach, but... If you have two good lines, you can win a championship with a hot goaltender.
2: The Blues did it with an interim coach.
1: And then with baseball, all you got to do is be a hot-hitting team, a.k.a. the Atlanta Braves this year. They got very, very hot in the second half. They were one of the hottest-hitting teams going into the playoffs. They made the trade for the three outfielders, Rosario and Soler, and, and those guys got really, really hot in the playoffs and were a big part of the reason why they won the World Series. And you need good pitching, so you need certain things, but you don't need a lot of those things what you need in football. When you look at football, you need a good coach, you need a good quarterback, you need a good pass rush, and you need a good running game, especially going into the playoffs where you got to work the clock when you're playing top-end quarterbacks and top-end offenses. When you look at Odell Beckham, Odell Beckham has been A prolific offensive player since he's come into the league. The Giants drafted him at number 12 six years ago. Came into the league with hamstring problems. It took him like four or five games before he stepped on the field. Giant fans were also curious about what he was going to do. And then he made that unbelievable catch against the Cowboys that changed everything. Changed who Odell Beckham was. When they were comparing him to Jerry Rice and Terrell Owens. And he really didn't even do what he was supposed to do to be even compared to these guys. Now you look at Odell Beckham. He went to Cleveland. He was traded for a first round. 1 3 and Jabril Peppers. Yeah, Jabril. <laughs> well, really, it was two first rounds because Jabril Peppers was a first round pick.
2: Yeah, even though he shouldn't have been. But,
1: but he was. So he was traded for like two first round draft picks and a third round pick. He goes over there to Cleveland and he barely stayed healthy. He had really. One and a half good seasons over there in Cleveland in the four years that he was there. He had so many injuries. He couldn't get along with the quarterback. And I don't want to hear from anybody saying that him and Baker Mayfield were getting along. They weren't. Every time Odell Beckham was in the lineup, he was demanding the ball. It hurt the offense. Go look at the offensive numbers when Odell is in the lineup and when he's not in the lineup. It's a huge difference. Now, Odell Beckham is a fantastic player he can change the outlook of an offense. The problem with Odell is if Odell doesn't see the ball, he doesn't touch the ball, or there's a problem in the offense that he doesn't like, there is a complaint. There's something that happens in a locker room. Jarvis Landry had to move his locker away from Odell Beckham. These guys have been best friends since LSU. There were roommates in LSU, and they couldn't even sit next to each other. They couldn't even talk to each other this past season. That is alarming when you think about what Odell Beckham is, and what he has been in the league. Now, has he done anything off the field to get himself into trouble like Deshaun Watson? No. He lost his $15 million ring in a lake that, or something like it that. That was Julio Jones. No, no, it was Odell. Odell, Odell too? No, oh, wow. I think he lost his ring at a concert or something. Okay. And that was a huge story, and he was trying to get it back. And now the Rams, they make the move. I thought it was the Green Bay Packers. The Rams make this move. Now, what does this state about the Rams? If the Rams don't win the Super Bowl this year with Odell Beckham, Von Miller, Matthew Stafford, Aaron Donald, and Jalen Ramsey, you have a prototype of five superstars. Von Miller, he's not an ultimate pass rusher anymore, but he's a great pass rusher. He's still a star. Odell Beckham is still a star. Matthew Stafford is still a star. And we know what Ramsey and we know what Donald is. They're stars. With all this star power. If they don't win the Super Bowl this year or even go to the Super Bowl, McVay's going to be looking for another job. And I don't want to hear about Odell Beckham and all these Odell Beckham fans here in New York saying, well, it wasn't Odell Beckham's fault or why Baker Mayfield couldn't get him the ball. It wasn't Odell Beckham's fault that the offense of Cleveland wasn't prolific like we thought it was going to be. Yes, it was. The guy, every time he stepped on the field, demanded the ball. His father had to Open his mouth on Twitter, and this is what really started the beef, why the Cleveland Browns wanted to get rid of him. Because his father can't shut up. Odell can't shut up on social media. His girlfriend doesn't shut up on social media. When all the dominoes fall, his whole team, his whole camp has something to say, not only about Baker Mayfield, which his girlfriend did, not only about the ownership, which Odell has said, or not even about the team as a whole, which his father has said. Every single thing that we have heard through social media comes from his camp. Not the Browns, not Baker Mayfield's camp, not Jarvis Landry's camp, not even Nick Chubb, who's one of the quietest players in the NFL. That is a problem. And now he's going to a Rams team that has a lot of firepower, a lot of leadership, a lot of big heads. And Odell is not going to go over there and tell Aaron Donald how things work in the locker room. He's not going to go there and tell Jalen Ramsey How things work. And he's definitely not going to go there and tell Cooper Cup, who's a very quiet guy, who's the best wide receiver right now in the NFL, this is what we're going to do and this is how we're going to do it. And you're going to listen to me. Because that's not going to happen. And I'm telling you right now, that's how, how Matthew Stafford plays either.
2: Now The Browns made the right decision here in terms of putting their coach and their quarterback first. They're winning with those guys. Stefanski's been a very good coach since he's coming to the league, and Baker Mayfield's been a good, not great, good quarterback since he's coming to the league, which the Browns obviously have not had for years. They had the quarterback graveyard, and it's a running back tight end offense. They were sticking to what's winning. That kind of scheme, their kind of offensive play calling with those guys involved, Nick Chubb, Kareem Hunt, all the three tight ends. That's the kind of offense that won with them, and you're right. The, the completion percentage, the more interceptions with Odell on the the field for Baker, and definitely maybe mentally has rattled his confidence at times too, because he's been very streaky throughout the year as well, and was very streaky throughout the 2019 season when Odell first got there too. Now, granted, Freddie Kitchens was coaching that team versus Stefanski, but still, Baker as a whole did not look good because of that as well. So, I think it was definitely the right move for the Browns. They could use that money somewhere else next year, and. They could help build out their defense. They could build get another receiver. In terms of the Rams, I expect him to be the number three receiver at the start and then maybe the number two later on because Robert Woods isn't on a great year either. So Odell could emerge into that outside number two role to Cooper Cup. And if there's any team that's going to be able to stabilize all these big personalities, it would be the Rams. It's still kind of weird, though, with all the receiving talent that they have, that it was the Rams that took that chance. But maybe they were afraid he's going to go somewhere else to another
1: contender. It's not a huge story. I know everybody makes it a huge story because it's Odell Beckham. We're in New York and everybody still has this, in fact, Actuation that he was going to come back here He was going to pick the Giants oh. To come back to I've heard it from so many Giant fans Oh I think he might come back to New York And I know he's a free agent next year There is no way in hell He's coming back to the New York Giants After the Mara family Everybody ran him out of New York For what he was doing Off the field and on the field He didn't do anything bad off the field But there were things that he was saying About the organization The coaches That really pissed the organization off And the players, by the way. Well,
2: the coaches weren't the brightest either.
1: (laughs) No, he, he said some things about the players too. Odell Beckham is beloved. Not only from the Giant fans, a lot of Jet fans love Odell Beckham too. I've seen a bunch of Jet fans wearing Odell Beckham jerseys in the last few years. Odell Beckham could be a huge piece or a very sour piece for the Rams moving forward. Does this benefit the Rams? If they could figure out how to get Odell Beckham to do what they need him to do in the open field and make him play the game that we expected him to play with the Browns, then he's as dangerous as any wide receiver in the NFL. And I don't believe they will. I can't see Odell Beckham changing his mind and his personality when he goes to the Rams. I know he wants to be in L.A. He's been wanting to go back to a big marketplace, and L.A. is... A big marketplace, New York and L.A., Mm -hmm. the two biggest markets in the world. But him going over to a big market with a quarterback that is very quiet. He doesn't say much. He knows how to control the huddle, and he knows how to control this team. Then you have a sour patch kid who comes in there and is going to stick his two cents into the offense. He could cause a lot of problems moving forward for this team and this offense. As far as this Aaron Rodgers thing, I know a lot of people don't like Aaron Rodgers. They don't like his personality. They don't like the fact that he would rather host Jeopardy than play football. Who knows what Aaron Rodgers is thinking in his head. Aaron Rodgers spoke on a show on Mad Dog Radio, the McAfee show. And he spoke about the whole immunization thing that he said, the thoughts behind it on the whole vaccination. And he apologized. Now, Aaron Rodgers is not a soft-spoken guy. He never was. He speaks from his heart. And he doesn't care what people think. When he spoke... On the McAfee show, he pretty much told you what people wanted to hear. They wanted an apology. He apologized. What more do you want this man to do? Now, I don't believe players should be forced to be vaccinated. But also, if the NFL and the players union agreed... To certain specifics that if you're not going to get the vaccination, a.k.a. Lamar Jackson, you have to wear your mask in front of the press. You have to wear your mask when you go out in public, especially working for the NFL as an organization, a multi-billion dollar industry. He was wrong about that. He can't make any excuses. If the NFL wants to fine him $300,000 instead of 14000 which I thought it was a low ball. I think the only way these players are going to learn their lessons from making mistakes is finding them big bucks, a lot of money. And that's something that the NFL has not done over the last couple of years, except to the Patriots. (laughs) I think when you look at the big picture with Aaron Rodgers, was he wrong? As far as the lying situation and saying that he was immunized and he knew that he wasn't vaccinated, he was wrong. But once he apologizes and he speaks up and he says... He's sorry. I don't know what more anybody wants him to do. What do you want him to send you? $5,000 each person that he upsetted, $5,000 of his money just to make you happy? He's not going to do that. He's an NFL player. Of course, he's going to be the poster boy to this because he's the biggest superstar in the league. If not him, Tom Brady. Those are the two big superstars and the faces of the NFL. Is it wrong to say that Aaron Rodgers really was attacked by the NFL, really was attacked by the players' union? And the answer is yes. Well, right now he's going
2: to be singled out because he's the first case of it. Him and Alan No, he L- isn't. Lazard Al- Lazar, Yeah, I
1: was going to say, him and Alan Lazard
2: are the first ones. I think the Packers, because they were finding as an organization, there's going to be more players that come out 5,000 so. players
1: in the NFL. You don't think 5,000 players were hiding that so they right got now, That's
2: what I'm saying. Right now he's going to be the one singled out for the time being until there's somebody else that ends up being caught with it. There are different cases where a team have a larger amount of vaccination statuses. It is wrong to lie, though, the way he did, though, and manipulate it and just go forward with it when only his Packers teammates knew. That's the big problem that... I think this case is going to look at when it comes to the NFL making a decision on that. You're right. The media is going to obviously make it. I say, oh, here we go again with Aaron Rodgers. It's going to be all Aaron Rodgers. There will be other players caught too, but definitely was wrong for that.
1: When you look at the big picture and you look at the NFL as a whole, as an organization, a multi billion dollar organization, I don't think there's an organization bigger than the NFL, especially in professional sports. When you look at this and you look at the money that's entailed to these players, they should have every right to do the things that they want to do because these are the guys that are entertaining all of you. The fans aren't on the field, so you can't really catch what they have on the field. The only people that should be worried is the players that are on the field, the players that have to play one another. They're the ones that are going to be next to each other, hitting each other. If the players are agreeing that they shouldn't be vaccinated, it shouldn't bother the fans that they aren't vaccinated. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into more football. We'll get into the Jets, the Giants, week nine and week 10, and then we'll have our special guest, Doug Kide. Oh, by the way, we're going to have a free-for-all picks. When we come back, we'll do our free-for-all picks. We'll get into week nine and going into week 10. Then Doug Kide, pro football focus NFL reporter, joining us here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy, Million Dollar Man, Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network Network. I know I bring up the Kardashians all the time on this show, and I know they're like the hot topic for all these young kids to follow him on social media from Instagram to Twitter to Facebook. Everybody wants to know what's going on. This Davidson on SNL, he's one of the biggest comedians. His net worth is around $8 million. Dated Ariana Grande. When you look at this guy, you wouldn't think that any other Kardashians would be interested in him. The most popular one out of all of them, is interested in this man. They're in love! Kim Kardashian and this Davidson kid, they're dating, she claims they're just friends. But you know when you hear they're just friends? They're more than that. Friends with extra benefits, I (laughs) guess. It's a crazy story, and you see, Courtney is now getting married to Barker. I met Barker years and years ago, drummer from Blink-182. Very, very talented. Great producer. His company is doing very, very well. They just signed Avril Levine to a contract, so he's a very successful guy, doing very, very well, and he's getting married to Courtney, so why not? Maybe Kim's moving into those tattoo guys as well. I guess when one sister moves on to another story, the other one does. (laughs) Uh, It seems like a Kardashian typical thing. When one Kardashian or Jenner is dating a professional basketball player, another one is. It just never ends. Well, but, at least they're better at shooting their shots than Ben Simmons. Well, that's true, too. And that's probably why Kendall is not dating him anymore, and she's dating Booker. <laughs> but anyways, I want to get into Week 9 in football, and there were a couple of surprises. I mean, the Jets' surprise losing on Thursday Night Football, that wasn't a surprise. What was surprising is Mike White, who really brought the ball down the field, looked like he was going to get the Jets back into the game. He hurt his forearm five minutes into the game. They pulled him, and the Jets just completely fell apart, gave up 45 points. Their defense, which is going into the game, I think was ranked all around 12th in the league, completely fell off, gave up 45 points against a Colts team. They ran the ball crazy against the Jets, and the Jets, who have been a good run-stopping team the last five, six years, have become one of the worst run-stopping teams in the NFL. And their secondary, which has been their real weakness since Darrell Revis and Camardi with the rookies, they've become a real surprise to this defense. One of the strong parts of what this team could be in the future. Quinn Williams, he looks good one week, he looks bad the next. I don't know what's going on with this team. Maybe it's just a mental attitude. Maybe it's the fact that they just believe they're not going to win this year. They're just not a winning team. And they're going into the offseason expecting to be better next year. I, I don't know what they're thinking. And, and losing Carl Lawson before the season even start that definitely hurt them and, and their thoughts of where this defense could have been. And now Zach Wilson, all the fans with Mike White, they're cheering Mike White. I've seen fans get Mike White tattoos on their <laughs> body. I mean, are they out of their minds? Chris Sims said it very, very nicely. When... The Jets didn't bring in a veteran quarterback in the offseason. The Jet fans were going crazy. Why did you bring a veteran quarterback like Flacco back that can help the young rookie figure things out? And then when they heard about Mike White, it's like, who the hell's Mike White? A journeyman, he stinks, this, then, that. What happens if Zach gets hurt? What are we going to do? Zach Wilson gets hurt. Mike White comes into a game. He has one of the best games we've ever seen. A journeyman player playing the NFL. He threw over 400 yards, three touchdowns, one interception, 37 for 45 And his ball, his jersey, and everything, his helmet, is in the Hall of Fame right now because it's one of the greatest starts we've (laughs) ever seen a journeyman have in the NFL history. And now, all of a sudden, Jet fans want to see Mike White instead of Zach Wilson. Chris Sims says it best. It's not just the Jet fans. It's just fans' prototypical thought is when a guy comes in and he has a game and you're Rookie or starting quarterback isn't playing well. You just want to send him down. You just want to get rid of him. This kid, Zach Wilson, who's been in the league for, what, five minutes? Never even got a lick or get a chance from a Jet fan. So I'm going to say this as a Jet fan. If you're a real Jet fan, you need to sit back and let this kid figure it out. If you see Mike White making these throws, he's not throwing the ball down the field. He's throwing checkdowns. And once Zach Wilson understands what a check down is, he will be throwing 350, 400 yards. He's got a great arm. You think Mike White has a better arm than Zach Wilson? Do you think he can run out of the pocket like Zach Wilson? Do you think he has the athletic ability to be compared to Zach Wilson? Mike White was a fifth round draft pick to Zach Wilson, who was the second pick in the first round. For all you fans to take shots at this kid and not give this kid an opportunity to develop, I understand Sam Darnold didn't grow into the player that they thought he was going to be. I understand Geno Smith didn't grow into the player they thought he was going to be. I understand Mark Sanchez, who took the Jets to two AFC title games, didn't grow into the player that everybody thought he was going to be. And I can name a bunch of other quarterbacks that didn't work out for the Jets. Why does everybody believe that this kid is going to be like them? First of all, for the fans that are saying that, I think it's a
2: lot of what have you done for me lately is the thinking of a lot of big city, like, hardcore fans, the same Yankee fans that booed Giancarlo Stanton or the same giant fans that were booing Eli Manning at certain points. Philly fans are the same way. Boston fans There's certain fan bases that are like that. So Mike White, the reason he could be playing right now is more for keeping Zach Wilson healthy. You don't want to rush Zach Wilson back. And then all of a sudden he re-injures that PCL and maybe even has more. Cause remember he was hit two different spots against the Patriots in that game. So. Which were penalties. Yeah. And, You're looking at a case where you don't want that kind of thing in a lost year kind of already, where it's a transitional year. We kind of expected that for the Jets this year. They're 2-6 and right now. They've looked good in certain games, but still, you don't want Zach Wilson to have to be re-injured. I don't think you should sit him out the rest of the season, but at least bring him back maybe two games or three games later, but make sure he's completely healthy. Don't rush him back right now. So Mike White will play for the time being. If he plays well, maybe you
1: could trade him. Who knows? He's going to be a free agent. If he plays well for the next two or three games, if you don't see Zach Wilson, he's an unrestricted free agent. The Jets could get a pick for him, a conditional pick if a team does pick him up in the offseason, and he's going to be gone. The Jets aren't going to be able to re-sign him, especially if he's having a good season. Another team's going to say, I could develop this kid. He's only 26, going to be 27 years old. He could be the future quarterback of my organization. The Pittsburgh Steelers, if Ben Roethlisberger retires, that would make sense for Pittsburgh. That would make sense for a lot of these other teams if they think that... Mike White is the future of their organization. So I understand why Jet fans are so excited about Mike White. But to get tattoos and do all these things, he is not going to be the starting quarterback of this team in this organization. Robert Sala put his head on the line, put his coaching on the line by dropping Sam Donald three years ago a top three pick. And they let him go and they traded him away for Zach Wilson. Same thing with Joe Douglas. Their names are stamped to this kid to develop and become the quarterback that they think he's going to be in the future. So no, Mike White isn't the future of this organization. Thinking of Sam Darnold, also hurt, and now the Panthers bring back Cam Newton. Cam Newton. Sam Darnold, and I, I hear this, Sam Darnold's done in Carolina. He's not. He's not done. They gave up a second and a fourth round draft pick for him. They gave up next year's future in their first four rounds. And you know a second and a fourth are conditionally starters in the NFL if you're drafting them in those, two, those four rounds. So they give up two starters for Sam Darnold. So they're not going to just say, hey— we're just going to get rid of him. Right, especially since Cam Newton hasn't had a good stretch of football even if Cam since has a, 2018. Even if Cam has a good season, Sam Donald's still the starter. He's got a shoulder problem. When he comes back, he's the starter. It doesn't matter how Cam Newton's played. He, he's considered an old man in the NFL. As far as the Giants are concerned... The Giants had a great game last week, not offensively, but defensively. Daniel Jones ha- made the throws that he needed to make to win the game. And the defense finally woke up. Ramsey's defense finally woke up against a Raiders team that is still a very good team, very talented offensively, very talented defensively this year. They're 5-3 they're and three. going into the game. They were 5-2. and two. They were one of the best teams in their division. They're a playoff-bound team right now. Mm-hmm. And they went into MetLife Stadium, and, they, and I knew that was going to happen. I said, I wouldn't be surprised if the Raiders go to MetLife because they're traveling across and lose. Maybe because of the whole rug sting and that crazy stuff that's going on in their locker room with John, John Gruden. Who knows? For all the things, the turmoil that's happened so far this year, the Las Vegas Raiders, they're still in the hunt for the playoffs, which is an amazing story. And you got to give Derek Carr a lot of credit for all the criticism he's had over the last couple of years, who I still think is an MVP candidate.
2: The Giants did a good job in that game with their defense against that Raiders offense. Outside of the run defense, they let Josh Jacobs run for almost 100 yards. Everybody does. But was letting him run consistently, too. It wasn't like it was a 30-yard run and then he rushed for three and four and like that. It was consistently big holes. Jacobs was getting yards after contact. But they did well against the pass, and that was a good sign. They kind of let Darren Waller have his and then stop everybody else. And the Giants had a good game plan. We had two interceptions from Xavier McKinney, and one of them returned for a touchdown. And you're right. Daniel Jones, he did enough. He made throws on third down. He made some good, sophisticated throws, spread the ball around nicely against a good Raiders defense this is an elite tandem of pass rushers this year that they have with Nagakwe and Max Crosby and they have Casey Hayward playing very well and Daniel Jones kind of decoyed those guys out and threw it everywhere else and he made it work for the Giants and I give him a lot of credit the Raiders I think will be fine I still think they're a playoff team too this was just one jet lag type game
1: speaking of Raiders John Gruden is filing a lawsuit against the NFL and Commissioner Goodell listen to this John Gruden who resigned as a head coach of the Las Vegas Raiders October 11th, filed a lawsuit against the NFL and Commissioner Roger Goodell on Thursday in Clark County, Nevada District Court, alleging the accused parties sought to ruin his career by releasing private emails in which Gruden used racist, homophobic, and misunderstood terms. If that is true, he's going to win a lot of money if it wasn't supposed to be released. And Goodell and the commissioner office and obviously the NFL released, he's going to sue them for a lot of money. He lost his job. Might never get a job again in the NFL because of this. And it ruined his career. So – uh, this is going to be a pretty hot story moving forward. I don't know how much money he's suing him for, but it, it could be a significant amount. So watch out for this story to start hitting newspapers and more interesting stories that are going to come out from this. So are you ready to do our NFL free-for-all picks of the week, Speed?
2: Yes, here we go. We'll start this week with the Cleveland Browns and the New England Patriots. The over-under is 455 this will be a low-scoring game. I'm going to take Cleveland. I'll take the upset here. Even though they have all these injuries right now, they've overcome them for much of the year. They're one of the few teams I trust to be able to do that. Like I mentioned earlier, Kevin Stefanski has been a very good coach in his time with the Browns for these two years. They've had a lot of good offensive performances this year. The Patriots, I don't think, really offensively have the deep threats to take advantage of a Browns secondary that's struggled much of the year. They have a good run defense that I think could limit Damian Harris. So I'm going to take Cleveland on the under.
1: Ah, it's in New England. You know what that means. I think the advantage goes to Bill Belichick and... And this New England front seven who has been unbelievable. They've been getting a good pass rush. Their secondary is questionable. They're not the same secondary we remember with Gilmore there. Now that Gilmore is over there in Carolina. I do think this is the Patriots game to win. I think that it's going to be high-flying. But I believe that the Patriots defense is going to be able to keep this team intact. I know Chubb's not playing. I know Hunt's not playing. I think the offense falls on all the other guys. And now that Odell's not there, I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on Baker Mayfield. So give me the Patriots on the over.
2: Alright, Chiefs at the Raiders. The over-under 51.5. I'm going to take the Raiders in this one. They are a very good prime-time team, even though they don't have a lot of experience. Derek Carr, like you mentioned, having an MVP-type year. The Chiefs defense still not getting any better. And their offense, I think, when you take out one of Travis Kelsey or Tyree Hill, seems to be exposed this year. And I, the Raiders, I think, can do that. They have good linebackers. They have Casey Hayward, who had, who's had a great year this year. And that pass rush against the offensive line that's had a lot of trouble. I think the Raiders win, and I think they win by double digits. Running the ball, Darren Waller, huge game. I'll take the Raiders me over.
1: I'm picking Kansas City in this game because I want to start to move forward in these picks. Give me Kansas City. I think Kansas City goes all the way across the country into Vegas and knocks off the Vegas Raiders on All right. the
2: over. Alright, Monday Night Football. The LA Rams at the San Francisco 49ers. The over-under is 48.5. This is where I'll go with the upset. I'll take the 49ers here. I think this is kind of one of those games where you need to save their season in a way. Look good at times defensively but have a lot, a lot of big plays, a lot of penalties but offensively they've been up and down. The Rams now getting Odell, getting Von Miller. Kind of worked into it. I think it'll take a little while for them to gel. The Rams have struggled against the Niners defense in the past and Monday night primetime game. This could be a rivalry game. This could be an upset. I'm going to
1: take the Niners on the under. This is not the same San Francisco 49ers team. I like the Rams in this game. They're the better running team. This is a better all-around team. I think Odell Beckham will play in this game and make some big plays. I don't know if he'll get a touchdown, but I think as we move forward, I think Odell Beckham will be moved into this offense more and more and more. Give me the Rams on the over. I think they destroy the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. Those are our free-for-all picks of the week. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be talking to pro football Focus NFL reporter Doug Kide, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you guys know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Darrell Marks. My co-host, Speedy Damn Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York is your time only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN is in Nancy, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. And download the app. We have great stories. We have great shows throughout the week and some great talent on our network from all different parts of the country. So definitely check it out if you haven't checked it out yet. You'll definitely love our shows. Anyways, I've been waiting to get this guy on our network. I've been waiting to get this guy on our show and very happy to have him on the show. We are now talking to pro football focus NFL reporter Doug Kide. What's going on, Doug? Doing well. How are you guys doing? Well, we're not dancing. I mean, Tyler can't dance. I mean, he's losing, yes, I dance. he's losing his hair. I can dance. He's losing his hair. I mean, you could dance? I can dance. What could you dance to? You I like disco anything. music? What? Could
3: you dance to disco music? No one from our gener- my generation likes disco music. What?
1: Doug, come on. Do you
4: like disco music? I will say it's my favorite genre.
1: So you don't like listening to the Bee Gees? I mean, it's okay. you can't dance to it anyways, Tyler, so <laughs> I don't care what you say. <laughs> you couldn't dance to hip hop music. You're losing your hair, all right? I am losing my hair. Yes, you are. Anyways, Doug. How are you doing? Tell us a little bit about yourself.
4: How did you start working for Pro Football Focus? I covered the Patriots for eight years at Nesson. Time for something new. So Pro Football Focus was opening up a news division. I was really excited to join the team because I was already friends with a lot of people over there at PFF and doing that since about July now. So it's been fun covering the entire league for this entire season, plus training camp.
1: So why don't we get into the Jets? Mike White becomes the story throughout the NFL. Throws 400 yards, 37 for 45, the first quarterback to ever do that in his first game. He's now his jersey, his football is in the Hall of Fame. It's shining. And the Jet fans say, hey, look! We have the starting quarterback of the future. 26-year-old journeyman, four-year quarterback from the Cowboys. What are your thoughts to this whole Mike White thing? Anybody that knows anything about football, you know that Robert Sala and Joe Douglas stamped their name to Zach Wilson. There's no way in hell they're going to let Mike White be the starting quarterback of the future of this organization, no matter how well he plays. But what are your thoughts to Mike White's what he's done his first week as a starting quarterback for the New York Jets? And where do you see Mike White moving forward with the New York Jets?
4: It's certainly an interesting situation. And I did think it was kind of funny that Robert Sala kind of left the door open that Mike White could be the future. We all know that's not the case. It's going to have to be Zach Wilson no matter how players play. But I do think that Mike White looks more comfortable back there than Zach Wilson has. And that's maybe to be expected because Mike White is more of a veteran option than Zach Wilson. He's been in the league since 2018. Zach Wilson just a rookie. But you expect there to be a large talent gap between the second overall pick and a guy who bounced around the league in the last three years. I don't know. I, I thought Mike White Looked good in the in the second half against the Patriots. Obviously, he looked really good last week against the Bengals, and he started off this game hot before injured his forearm. One thing, he's a restricted free agent after this season. So the Jets will have the option to tag him. For the first-round tender, second-round tender, or original-round tender, I would expect them to probably slap that original-round tender on him, fifth-round pick. But that means that another team could trade a fifth-round pick for Mike White, which, if he plays well in a few more games this season – isn't out of the realm of possibility since Taylor Heineke just signed a relatively big deal over this offseason.
2: So the other team in this game, the Indianapolis Colts, they got a glimmer of hope with Derek Henry now probably out for the season. So the Titans, even though they have a big lead in their division, can you see the Colts kind of gaining ground? Pretty easy schedule got mostly NFC West over with
4: already. So can you see them maybe coming back and stealing the AFC South or even a, a wild card spot? It's possible if Carson Wentz plays well down the stretch, but he started off the season hot for Carson Wentz than that, All kind of fell apart last week. It's possible just because Derrick Henry, that's a major loss for the Titans. I mean, that's one of the biggest drop-offs that you can have, I'd say, in the league from losing Henry and now having Adrian Peterson, Dante Foreman, and Jeremy McNichols there at running back. And that whole offense did run through Derrick Henry. It'll be interesting to see how that Titans team looks. I just don't know. It's Carson Wentz, and you know he's good for one or two big mistakes per game. It definitely doesn't help that the Colts were not able to start this season on a good foot three and five it's not buried but I still probably wouldn't expect them to be playoff bound
3: Odell Beckham Jr. is running his way out of Cleveland him and the Browns are just working out details on how soon they can get this contract over with and he can go wherever he wants was there a final straw here or was it just Odell never fit in when he got there
4: well it certainly hasn't gone well for him since he got to Cleveland it really hasn't gone that well for him ever since he signed the big contract I do think that The comments from LeBron, the comments from Odell Beckham's father, that was pretty clearly the breaking point here because after that all happened, that's when the Browns told Odell to stay home and then, oh, he hasn't practiced. It does seem like there's a divorce coming here. It does seem likely that they'll probably just have to waive him at a certain point because according to NFL rules, you can't suspend a player with pay. It's only working for Deshaun Watson because he's agreed to it. But if Odell Beckham says that he wants to play, then the Browns can't just keep him at home paying him. Him, but suspending him So so something's going to have to happen He's going to be waived at some point here
1: We are talking to pro football focus NFL reporter Doug Kide Now Doug, Von Miller gets traded to the Rams And everybody At the trade deadline, we're like, oh my God, the Rams just trade away all their draft picks now. 2022, second round, 2023, third round. Adding Von Miller to this defense, a top-end defense with obviously one of the best defensive players in the league, if not the best, Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Is this the team to beat right now in the NFC? Now solidifying themselves with a quarterback in the beginning of the season and now Von Miller.
4: I think they probably are. They're probably the team to beat overall, but the Buccaneers are are right up there with them because I know there's been times when they haven't looked quite that dominant, but that was really the case last season as well. And I I do think that once the Buccaneers get their secondary rounded back into shape and that's already starting to happen, Sean Murphy Bunting was designated to return off of injured reserve. I think the Buccaneers will be really good down the stretch as well. So that's the two man race that I'm looking at here is between the Rams and the box, the Rams, they're going to be a tough team to beat. And like you said, with those top three defenders on, on that roster and they've gone all in 2022 second and a 2022 third and von miller is a free agent after this season so if he walks in free agency then they could still get the 23 compensatory fifth round pick making this trade makes it easier for them to re-sign him this offseason but it could wind up being a half year rental For a second and third round pick, that's a lot To give up, so kind of pushing all the chips Into the middle of the table here So let's go to their division rival, who made a trade kind of right Before the trade deadline, the Arizona Cardinals
2: They trade for Zach Ertz, what kind of role Will he serve? It's an NFL equivalent to an air raid Offense, a lot of wide receivers with Cliff Kingsbury And Kyler Murray, and I was saying how Zach Ertz is probably, even though he isn't the World-class blocker, he's going to be used as that A lot more often, what do you think his role end up being in this offense?
4: I think it could be Kind of twofold, I do think that he could be used as A blocker, he's experienced, not the best in the NFL He's not Gronk out there, but he's a willing blocker. But really, at times, he's kind of that big slot receiver. So they've got the maneuverability with him where they can kind of do that that four-wide look with Zach Gertz. They could bring him in at tight end. They could do a lot of things with him. The issue that they're facing right now is that they're pretty banged up. A.J. Green on the COVID list. Kyler Murray hasn't practiced the last couple of days. J.J. Watt could be out for the season. There's a lot of moving pieces, especially heading into this week. I wouldn't expect Kyler Murray to be out long term, but it's certainly possible that he could be out this week. Same thing with A.J. Green. He should be back before we know it. So it might be a little speed bump for them, but just heading into this week, it's looking a little shaky for them against the 49ers, but long term, as long as that defense can hold up without Watt, there's certainly contenders as well. I just might not put them in that same echelon as the bucks and the rams
3: russell wilson has apparently a one million percent chance of demanding another trade this offseason <laughs> is that any truth to that whatsoever and if so where does he want to go
4: i mean i think that just given all of the rumors last year that, that it's certainly possible again and one thing that that could be interesting is say if odell beckham jr gets waived what if the seahawks pick him up what if they extend that olive branch to russell wilson by saying we want to keep you around? we'll get you whatever you want. If you want Odell Beckham Jr., we'll give you Odell Beckham Jr. It all kind of depends on how the rest of the season goes, I think, for the Seahawks, whether Pete Carroll's back, whether Russell Wilson's back. Certainly a lot of questions there. Probably a 50-50 chance he's still there next year, and it just seems like there could be a break coming there, and if there is, I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he tries to go to one of the major markets. Obviously, there's probably not a place for him in L.A. right now, but maybe the Giants, if if that doesn't go well this season, with Daniel Jones, maybe another one of the, the major market teams, just because with Sierra, with Russell Wilson, I think they're trying to raise their profile as much as possible. So, yeah, a team like New York would certainly be interesting there.
1: We are talking to pro football-focused NFL reporter Doug Kide. Now, Doug, you were talking about the Buccaneers, And you were talking about the Rams. But we forget about one team that always is talked about in the NFC, and that's the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, 100% healthy. He didn't get his vaccination. They knocked off the Arizona Cardinals, who were the undefeated team everybody thought couldn't be beat. Aaron Rodgers really plays with nothing. Everybody keeps talking about him. Oh, Tom Brady played with nothing, but Aaron Rodgers has really played with nothing. Devontae Adams, and that's it. The next best wide receiver he has, he's not even in the top 100 in wide receivers in the NFL. So it just shows you what he does with nothing. Do you think that this could be the year, if this defense and this secondary plays as well as they did last week against a very good Arizona Cardinal team, do you think they could be the favorites to coming out of the NFC and winning a Super Bowl this year.
4: I'm impressed by the Packers. I just think that it's a really tough NFC. Any one of these four teams could be the top team. I'd still put the Bucks and the Rams probably above the packers but they're up there with the cardinals they beat the cardinals Mm -hmm. with a really rough overall receiving core not only the wide receivers out but also robert Tunyon gets hurt in that game (laughs) as well now he's probably dealing without a, a top tight end for the rest of the season but they're right up there as well it's going to be interesting i think with the packers to see how jordan love plays there's a potential for jordan love to look good and if that happens There's some uncertainty next offseason with Aaron Rodgers. If he'll be back in Green Bay next season, that's a year away. I do think the Packers will be in the running again this season in the playoffs. But that is an interesting side note that we're going to get to see Jordan Love start this season with everything that's brewing with the Packers over the offseason.
1: Speaking of Kansas City, a team that everybody thought was a Super Bowl contender, Patrick Mahomes before the season started was talking about going undefeated (laughs) The whole season. And then all of a sudden, the first five games – They lose three out of their first five or six games. They have not looked uh, as good as we expected them to be. Patrick Mahomes has made a lot of mistakes this year, mistakes that we have not seen Patrick Mahomes ever make. We were talking about him being the elite quarterback, the best quarterback in the NFL. And slowly but surely, you're seeing guys like Justin Herbert really take that step forward where uh, people are starting to put him in the conversation as elite. And then all of the other ones, Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, who Tom Brady is probably the favorite right now to win the MVP. What are your thoughts to Kansas City? I know their defense has been terrible, but even their offense, Kill, I don't know what the heck he's been doing. I I think he needs to stop going on YouTube, but this team is not the same team we expected them to be this year.
4: Certainly not. And I think that, It sounds crazy if you look at a team that's got Tyree Kill and Travis Kelsey that you could complain about their weapons, but really the Chiefs have done nothing to address that number two wide receiver spot for the last few years. They had Sammy Watkins, who was fine, but he was always hurt. This season, they were counting on McCole Hardman, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson. Obviously, Josh Gordon hasn't really stood out since he got there. I was shocked that they didn't do something more to improve that number two wide receiver spot especially after the Super Bowl last season, because I think that the Buccaneers kind of exploited that issue. If by some chance you can take Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey out of the game, then there's basically no one else for Patrick Mahomes to be throwing to in that offense. And that's when he has to rely on the Byron Pringles and the Demarcus Robinsons and all these guys. And I think that that's when he starts to get a little bit flummoxed out there. He's been throwing more interceptions. The running game had not really got going. The Monday night game, the Giants played them close. A Giants team that's kind of on their toes very easily could have been a new york win so i think that that kind of shows you in general where patrick mahomes is and i actually thought it was interesting that you were talking about the elite quarterbacks around the nfl there's like a list of like nine or ten guys at this point Mm -hmm. you could consider elite all the guys that you talked about kyler murray's right up there with those Mm -hmm. guys dak prescott's right up with all those guys there's a really good like top nine or ten quarterbacks out there and right now patrick mahomes isn't standing out among them there are guys who are playing better than him right now so I'm going to go back to Odell. Either if he gets cut
2: this year or even in the offseason, a team that could use him this year, that you, a fit that you like maybe for as a rental and also long-term, a team that could sign him to a three, four-year deal, a fit that you like for both of those scenarios.
4: The Saints are, are an obvious choice. I think that outside of the Detroit Lions, the Saints probably have the weakest wide receiver core in the NFL right now, and it, it certainly does not help now that Michael Thomas is out for the season. If they're going to go on a run this season, which who knows if that's going to happen with either Trevor Simeon or, or Taysom Hill at quarterback, I do think that they need to find another weapon in that offense, and one guy who's definitely available right now is Deshaun Jackson, but then Odell Beckham Jr. is the other one who's the other domino who's going to fall here most likely if he gets waived. so I think that Odell makes a lot of sense for the Saints. He played college football at LSU. He's familiar with the area. It's a team that could certainly use him. And if he gets waived, if he clears waivers, the Browns are basically on the hook for that $8.1 million, and he can sign for a veteran minimum mm. anywhere and still get paid $8 million this season. <laughs> There's no benefit, really, for him or the team that's signing him to give him more than the veteran minimum. So the Saints are always up against the cap. They're especially up against it this year. But if you're dealing with a veteran minimum salary, then anyone around the league could bring him in. Deshaun Jackson's another interesting piece. A team that I'd look for there is probably the, the Las Vegas Raiders after they waived Henry Ruggs for good reason after the the DUI the tragic car accident that killed a 23 year old woman but they're still contenders as well they still got off to a hot start this season and now they're looking for a starting caliber wide receiver whether that would be someone like Deshaun Jackson who would fit in pretty well into that Ruggs role or someone like Odell Beckham Jr. certainly could make sense there as well.
3: Speaking of Saints disgruntled wide receivers Michael Thomas came out this week on his Instagram and said he's not coming back this year. He had a setback. I said in the OTAs, he won't play a game for the Saints ever again. Is there any truth to Michael Thomas coming back to New Orleans, or is he gone too?
4: I could see him coming back. It, it makes it more difficult after this season, or really after these last two seasons. Gets hurt week one of the 2020 season, tries to play through it. That doesn't go well. Then he delays his surgery until June. It might be best for both parties to split. It's just a weird situation with what's going on there with that ankle because it should be better by now. I just don't know if he's got the confidence in that ankle right now that it is at 100%. I think that that's probably what what caused him to shut it down this season and wait till he is fully healthy. But you know, now by the time he gets back, it's a season and a half that he's been off the field. And I don't know if you at that point want to pay him like a top-tier wide receiver when you don't know when he'll be back on the field, if he'll be back on the field, and what he'll look like when he is finally back on the field.
1: Last question for me, Doug, the AFC. We all know a lot of people think the Buffalo Bills are the favorites that are coming out of the AFC, especially the way their defense is playing. Josh Allen is an MVP candidate. He's playing sensational football, turning into the superstar right in front of our eyes that a lot of people thought he was going to be. But there are teams in the AFC, like Baltimore, even though they have not played well a couple of weeks ago against the Bengals, they're a very good Team. The Bengals, not playing well against the Jets, a lot of people thought are taking a lot of steps forward. Their defense has played very well. Before last week, they haven't given up more than 25 points to a team until last week against the Jets, so their defense is playing well, and they have a prolific offense. But how about, we were just talking about Justin Herbert and the Chargers, who have not played well the last mm-hmm. two weeks, but this team is for real. Their defense is really, really good. They have a rookie coach, but this offense is prolific. They can score. They can score with the best of them. And when Eckler is on, he is one of the most unstoppable running backs in the league people just don't talk about. Who do you think, out of the AFC, could be the favorites that are coming out? Because it doesn't look like it's Kansas City. Who do you see out of this AFC and represent the AFC for the Super Bowl?
4: I do think it's going to be the Bills. I think that they've got the best shot at this point. But I still believe in the Chargers. They haven't looked that good over the last couple of weeks but I believe in Brandon Staley. I think that Justin Herbert is really a player who could ascend even more as the season goes along. They just need to fix some things on on defense. They've struggled against the run. So I don't know if that's poaching someone off of a practice squad, trying to fix that. I just think that they need some bigger, more consistent bodies in the middle of their defense. But I've got faith in Brandon Staley to, to figure that out. I've got faith in Justin Herbert. So I think that they would be the dark horse for me. Ravens, I think that they've still got a chance. Lamar Jackson like breaks out on national TV. And then he kind of has some stinkers (laughs) when they're playing it in the one o'clock games. I personally believe in Lamar Jackson, but he hasn't been as consistent maybe this season as we expect him to be. Bengals, great story, but I don't know if I believe in them long-term this Mm. season. So I go with the Bills. Chargers are are right up there with them. And then it gets a little bit murky for me, but Mm. Chargers are an interesting, interesting team. They're another team that could really use a player like Deshaun Jackson or use a player like Odell Beckham. I just don't know if they're the type of team who would be willing to bring a player like that in it would certainly be easy for Deshaun Jackson to go from the Los Angeles Rams to the Los Angeles Chargers <laughs> yeah. wouldn't be a very far move for him he's from the Los Angeles area so there's a lot of dots to connect there they need a third consistent wide receiver in that offense especially since Jared Cook really has not stepped up at tight end this season Josh Palmer hasn't come on as well as expected it's that two-man show there with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams so I don't know if they're the team who makes that mid-season move but they could use another weapon in that offense right now
2: so one more question for me the Ravens have just been a little different this year and they're normally running in defense their defense has been exposed to big plays and Lamar Jackson's had to do it a lot through the air with the running game with all the injuries that they've had so do you think that different
4: is a good thing for this Ravens team or do you think maybe their flaws are still their flaws it's such a tough situation for them because they just had so many injuries in training camp early in the season and Injuries are are really kind of the name of the game in the NFL sometimes is that at a certain point at times, you can't overcome those injuries to lose J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards. Now they're dealing with this plethora of veteran running backs, all of whom kind of (laughs) look about the same backfield. I don't know how long those guys can carry them. And then you deal with Marcus Peters injury. I do wonder if at a certain point, those injuries pile up too much. And I know that they came out strong at the start of the season. I know that they looked hot. It looked like those injuries weren't going to affect them this year. Injuries on their offensive line as well. Ronnie Stanley out for the season. That's Mm. going to hurt them. And it's not as if, you know, these guys that we're talking about, played at any point this year but it's just a lot of talent zapped off their roster that they never got to field this season and I think that that's maybe one of the big reasons why I'm a little bit hesitant about them this year
3: so we started this interview talking about the New York Jets so we're going to end it talking about the New York Giants Saquon it looks like his time with the Giants is probably over now more importantly Daniel Jones is kind of the face of the future Do you see the Giants sticking with Daniel Jones, or is he on a short leash than people think?
4: I actually thought this offseason that people weren't really talking about Daniel Jones enough, and it was amazing that he plays in the biggest market in the country. He was a first-round pick. He had been kind of disappointing over the first couple of years of his career, and no one was talking about this as some kind of make-or-break season for Daniel Jones, and I thought it was. I think that if you haven't improved to the point of being a top quarterback in your third season, then I think the team needs to start looking at other options. So I certainly would not be surprised if they did, whether that was drafting a quarterback in the second round, bringing on one of those backup guys that will probably be available this off season. We already talked about Russell Wilson. That's a situation where Daniel Jones has not played well enough to the point where If one of those top tier quarterbacks, whether it is Russell Wilson or Aaron Rodgers, and you've got Daniel Jones, at quarterback, I think you've got to move on it. I actually thought a couple of years ago that they should have been in play for Tom Brady. I know that the offensive line wasn't in good enough shape at that point, but I think that being in New York, they possibly could have been in play for that situation It seemed like they were just content with Daniel Jones. So it's a little bit like treading water where yes, you can move forward with Daniel Jones, but there's a lot of better options that could come available that. They could look to if they do, if Aaron Rodgers or Russell Wilson or any of these guys want to be traded.
1: The question is could they afford them? And with the Giants in their cap, it doesn't seem like they will. Russell Wilson's going to be expecting a very big contract because this will be his last contract of his career. So I don't know if they're going to be able to afford him. And we know Aaron Rodgers is not coming to New York. He's already made it pretty much be known. There's just only two teams he wants to play for, the 49ers and the Broncos. And I don't think he's going to the 49ers because they already traded their whole life and their whole <laughs> draft for a quarterback that hopefully will be decent. And the Broncos look like they're a team. I've been hearing that Bezos might buy the Broncos in the off season. He uh, came out and said no, by the way. Uh, I don't believe that. You think Bezos is going to say, oh, I'm not going to buy that team. Like, Maybe we'll will put him in outer space. There's somebody that's going to buy the Broncos. The ownership over there, the family yeah. are not getting along over there. So – they want to sell the team. They want to get their money, and they want to move out of that. So Talk about
4: a hands-off owner. Bezos, <laughs> who's most hands-off owner. That would be a dream situation for a GM and a head coach. Oh, Elway might Bezos, stay at that point. All they have to pay Aaron Rodgers is Amazon stock. He'd be a very rich man. <laughs> pay money under the table with some crypto.
1: <laughs> Anyways, Doug, we would like to get you on again. You were a great interview. Tell the fans how they could find you.
4: Absolutely, yeah. Uh, follow me on Twitter at DougKide. That's D-O-U-G-K-Y-E-D. And then head to PFF.com. I've got a feature on Michael Carter up there today of the Jets. Uh, Another one coming tomorrow. Jaguars defensive end Josh Allen with the upcoming Josh Allen bowl between the (laughs) the Jags and the Bills. I've got a mailbag dropping tomorrow as well. Last time
1: that happened, Leonard Fournette
4: threw a punch and got ejected.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Doug, we'd love to get you on if you'd like to come back on as the season progresses. Probably towards the end of the season, we'd love to talk more football. And your picks, whoever goes to the playoffs, where we see the playoff and the wild cards are going to fall because there could be some interesting things that are going to happen in the AFC and the NFC. There's a lot more football left, so a lot of things could happen. For sure. No, absolutely. This was fun. Eight weeks left of the NFL season. So, yes, absolutely, Doug. And we definitely would absolutely enjoy you coming on again. Thank you, Doug, for joining us. Thanks for having me. Doug Kide, ladies and gentlemen. Awesome interview. One of the best interviews we've had when it comes to the NFL. Fantastic. And we're definitely going to get him on the show on the weekend crunching. Definitely sports loudmouths. He's really, really good. Gives us so much Entailed information what's going on in the NFL with the Jets, the Giants, and everything with all the stories, the NFL trade down. Awesome. He's absolutely awesome. It was a great interview. If you guys missed it, you can definitely check out the replay on the Worldwide Sports Radio app. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to get into some basketball. Where is Ben Simmons going? Wishy washy, wishy washy. It seems like he could be staying in the Eastern Conference. And who do we bring up to think? that he's going to? The Boston Celtics. I'm going to tell you why I think this is absolutely hilarious for all those Celtic fans that were taking shots at him for the last couple of weeks. Well, if this happens, boy, oh boy, this is going to be funny. When we come back, we'll get into Ben Simmons, we'll get into the NBA, and we'll get into some NHL conversation here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speed P. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android worldwide sports radio network it's been a crazy week in sports and in the nba it doesn't surprise me that ben simmons has been the talk of the town if it's not kyrie irvin it's ben simmons we know john wall hasn't stepped on a court and it was a thing that posted on social media today which player is actually going to play their first game before the other players and i would say john wall will play his first game before ben simmons and kyrie irvin because This Ben Simmons saga, if Ben Simmons doesn't get traded, he is not playing for the 76ers. He could start and might not play all season long, making about 26, 27. The Philadelphia 76ers are paying Ben Simmons to sit home on his butt as a healthy scratch because they don't want him in the locker room, they don't want him at practices, and they don't want him in games because he's a cancer inside that locker room. And now the story, who's going to make the trade for Ben Simmons? When we heard the 76ers wanted three first-round draft picks, then we heard they'll take a cut on it. We'll take two first-round draft picks and a player. Now we're hearing they'll take a player and one first-round draft pick. And now the team that slowly but surely is peeking their head through the outer layer of the 76ers is the Boston Celtics. Who would have thought the Boston Celtics would be interested in Ben Simmons when all the Boston Celtics fans that call our show on the sports mounts make jokes, press jokes on this guy that he's the worst shooter, the worst NBA player, highest paid player ever for the money that he gets paid who can't shoot a lick at the three-point line when the NBA has completely transitioned into a three-point game.
2: Yeah, and I think the Celtics right now, it's a really bad case for them to go after Ben Simmons, because they've done well defensively this year. Ben Simmons is known for his perimeter defense, was a lockdown guy, all defensive team last year. Doc Rivers said he was arguably the best defensive player he's ever coached, and the Celtics are winning games 90-86. to 86. They're winning 96-91. to 91. They're needing offense. They need shooting. They need a good point guard. They need some guys that can help inside. Jalen Brown has done really everything for this team this year. Jason Tatum's had a rough start to the year as a result of playing with the U.S. Olympic team. The wear and on his body. They've gotten flashes from different young players like Peyton Pritchard and Robert Williams, but that's really it. It's really all Jalen Brown this year, and you wonder if Brad Stevens being in the front office rather than coaching is making a difference too, and how much were they really system fits more than they were actually good players too. So the Celtics, I think, need to avoid that kind of thing. If they're going to make trades, they're going to make trades for guys that can help them offensively, and I think they need more than one too. This team is not as deep as it used to be. When they made the Eastern Conference Finals and lost to LeBron's Cavs and they lost once to Miami, they had depth on those teams. This team doesn't have good depth. They're really trusting a lot of youngsters to get it going all at once, and that's going to be very hard, especially with the new coaching staff. So I don't like the Ben Simmons move at all.
1: I don't know if it's going to happen, but it is a rumor, and I know a lot of Celtic fans don't want to hear it. The whole Kyrie Irving thing. I remember when Kyrie Irving told the Celtics that he's going to be a Celtic for the rest of his career. The year after, he leaves to free agency, goes to the Brooklyn Nets, and now all the fans can't stand Kyrie Irving. Now, all of a sudden, what are the Celtic fans going to do If this does go through, and they do decide to trade Jalen Brown for Ben Simmons, are they going to boo Ben Simmons because he's on the court playing for the Celtics? I already know the Celtic fans can't stand him, so what are they going to do? I look at Brad Stevens. He's not a GM. He's a head coach. Everybody talks about how great Brad Stevens was as a head coach. What did he win? He didn't win anything. And now he took over for Danny Ainge. Now, taking over for Danny Ainge, Danny Ainge did win a championship. He made a trade bringing in Kevin Garnett and obviously bringing in Ray Allen to add with Paul Pierce. And that helped them win a championship. So you can't really attack Danny Ainge for all the stupid things Danny Ainge has done. He's done some great things because he did win a championship. So now Brad Stevens, the whole future of the Celtics, is left into a guy that's never been a GM. He's never been a winner in the NBA as a head coach. And what I mean by winner is a championship head coach. So I know a lot of Celtic fans are probably jumping out of their chair when you hear Ben Simmons' name. In the conversations for Jalen Brown, who's having an unbelievable season. He's an all-star this year. He's been one of the best players in a league this year. He's been fantastic. And now they're thinking about trading him. It doesn't make any no. sense. As far as the New York Knicks, I look at the Knicks. I don't know what this team is. Tom Thibodeau speaks out the other day. After a game that the Knicks could have won. I'm talking about the Milwaukee Bucks game when they came all the way back from 20. They did it twice in almost a week. Last week, they came back from a 21-22 deficit and they won. And now this week, they played the Bucks again. And the Bucks had a double header. They won against the 76ers. You wouldn't think that they were going to come out strong and play hard against the Knicks. They go into Madison Square Garden and embarrass the New York Knicks. They were up by 21-22. The Knicks come back in the fourth quarter. They get back into the game. They even tie the game. And then you have Grayson Allen shooting threes all over. And you have all these different guys besides Grayson Allen you had never even heard of. Bench guys shooting three-point shots. And Grayson Allen, we don't remember for an NBA guy, more a college guy. He's been really, really good. He's been improving. Grayson Allen is one of the big signings in the offseason after losing Tucker.
2: You did well last year with the Grizzlies, too. He's gradually improving. It's just He not, can shoot. He's just still not one of the surprises. You like, all right, if Milwaukee's going to beat us, who, who's it going to be? Giannis, he's, Chris Middleton?
1: No, no. Grayson Allen. He's averaging almost 13 points a game this year, mm-hmm. which is pretty good for a guy that wasn't averaging anywhere close to that last nope. year. He's starting to develop. Maybe it's coaching. Maybe it's the team that he's playing for, the spread offense, playing with the Greek free. Who knows? But – Tom Thibodeau was attacked by the press at his press conference at the end of the game. They were talking about why isn't the starting five scoring the points. Their starting five is scoring the least amount right now in the NBA as a starting five. And you talk about Walker, who they brought in, who's only averaging 11 points. I think that will get better. When you talk about Julius Randle, who is ball hogging and forcing the ball up. When you're watching Julius Randle, there are games, in the first half of the game, he's shooting 15 shots. And he's taking away shots from other players like Fournier, the Quigleys of the world. Even Obi Toppin is shooting the ball very well. Why is Julius Randle hogging the ball? Now, I am not a Julius Randle fan. He's a good player. He's a star. He's a sensational pickup for the New York Knicks. A small contract. He helps the Knicks in the future, bringing in another superstar to come and play with some of the players that they have right now. But if he is hogging the ball and he is forcing the ball up, a.k.a. a Carmelo Anthony wannabe, and I say wannabe Mm -hmm. because he's nowhere close to the talent Carmelo Anthony was when he came here. And when you're isolating on the court, Tom Thibodeau's offense is not an isolation offense, usually. Now, when Derrick Rose was on the team or Jimmy Butler was on the team, I think when Jimmy was the number one guy on the Chicago Bulls, it It was more of a pass-first, shoot-second type of team. Because Butler wasn't the raw shooter at that time. When Rose was on the team, it was an isolation. He used a lot of Rose. He isolated the game. Tom Thibodeau could play both. Tom Thibodeau likes to shoot the three. He's making the players shoot more threes than we've ever seen the Knicks shoot. And that's why, in the beginning of the season, Knicks led the league in three-point shots. But... You look at their bench right now. Their bench is fantastic. They have one of the best benches in the league. Mm -hmm. But if your front five is not scoring, that's a huge problem. And Tom Thibodeau can make an excuse all he wants. To lose a game that you could have won and you should have won when you came back in the fourth quarter the way you did against a Milwaukee Bucks team. Yes, they're the champions, but they're not the same team that they once were last year. You should have won, and there's no excuses to losing that game. Especially a couple of games ago, losing against the Cleveland Cavaliers.
2: Yeah, I actually love that statement by Thibodeau, though, too. It proves that nobody is really safe in that spot. And we've seen people criticize Thibodeau in the past, too, for overusing players. And maybe now he realizes all right, the bench units are doing well. This rotation, this strict rotation thing, might not be the right way to be able to do this team. And I think. Maybe Tom Thibodeau also evolves from this too and realizes maybe the rotation... I'm not saying put all the bench guys in the starting lineup at once, but maybe play around with it more. Derek Rose gets some starts. You could put Fournier in different spots. His team is versatile, so use him that way. And I think this could help his coaching style grow as a whole too. You mentioned he plays so many different concepts offensively and that's a good thing in itself. And defensively, we know how talented that the Knicks are. They're very good in that system. They struggled against Milwaukee. They have to l- way too many open threes for whatever reason. But normally, they're naturally a very, very good defense. But Offensively, They need to make those kinks. If the starting five isn't playing well, play different combinations. Be like a hockey coach. Maybe formalize different rotations in terms of different lineups. Substitute more often. Maybe two every two, three minutes rather than doing like, all right, these guys stay on the court for six minutes and then these four play six minutes and that's it. Yeah, players are going to have a hard time gelling in comparison to our natural system.
1: But when you have that much depth, learn how to play with the depth. It's early in the season. When you watch the Knicks play, you don't know which Nick team you're going to get. The Nick team that's going to absolutely demolish a team in the first half and play short defense in the second half and try to keep your defense up where you can completely shut a team down? Or are you going to see the Nick team take an early lead, a 20, 30-point lead, and then fall apart in the second half and almost lose the game? We've seen... All different kinds of Nick teams this year. I want to see a significant, overcharged New York Nick team that is going to play the same way every week, every day, every game, where they can compete every single night. It's embarrassing sometimes when you watch this Nick team. Tom Thibodeau deserves a lot of credit on why this team's growth and who this team is and the identity of this team is. But here's the problem. We all know what Tom Thibodeau has done over the years. He's one of the best coaches in the NBA the first two or three years, and then all of a sudden these players completely fall apart they don't want to play the same way they were playing for Tom Thibodeau because he's an edge defensive guy he wants you to play defense defense first offense in second and these guys want to put the points up because they want to make their big contracts so we don't know how long this is going to last for the Knicks because we've seen it in Chicago it lasted for a significant amount for five years he was dominant and then all of a sudden everything started falling apart Mm -hmm. and then he, he gets fired then he goes to the Timberwolves he becomes a GM and he becomes the coach and how long did that last? Three years? He brings Jimmy Butler in. He didn't get along with this guy. He didn't get along with that guy. They traded him to the 76ers, traded away their team's future, and then he gets fired. And now he's with the Knicks. So Tom Thibodeau is a great coach. He was coach of the year last year. I would say top three, top four coaches Definitely. in the NBA. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The problem with Tom Thibodeau is, is Tom Thibodeau loses his teams very short in his tenure with those teams. And I don't want to see that happen with the Knicks. This was his life Where he wanted to take over this New York Knicks team. This is what he always wanted to do. This was his dream job. I want to see him continue. I want to see him bring a a championship home to Madison Square Garden. Something the Knicks haven't seen since the 70s. As far as the Brooklyn Nets are concerned. There's nothing to concern about them. They're playing good basketball. They're doing it without Kyrie Irving. I do believe Kyrie Irving will be back this year. I can't see him not coming back this year. But the question is, is he going to take the vaccine, Obey by the NBA rules and the New York State rules? I don't know what he's going to do. But if they get Kyrie Irving back and this team plays like they've been playing the last past week and a half, this is an eight-cylinder team. The power, you go from four-cylinder to six-cylinder to eight-cylinder. This team was starting off on a four-cylinder. They weren't playing well. They skipped the six-cylinder. They're now on eight. Harden's playing better. Kevin Durant's starting to get his feet back. Even guys like Marcus Aldridge has played well. If this team plays the way they are playing and they get Kyrie Irving back, watch out for him.
2: Yeah, Lord Marcus Aldridge has really been revitalized this year offensively. You're expecting the Nets just to use him as a rebounder, a defensive type of guy, but not really shooting threes, but he's shooting mid range. He can shoot smart shots, and, that, and the Nets need that kind of thing when James Harden's really struggled to start the year. I think the new three point rule is definitely affecting him, but also the inefficiency in general without Kyrie Irving on the court has really been bad for James Harden. So they need something like that to counter with efficiency so your team isn't just trying to force bad shots early in the shot clock and not be able to make up for it with your defense, wear out your team. And we know the Nets' defense isn't anything special, but they have haven't been bad this year. They've been better than a lot of people thought too because of those big men like LaMarcus Aldridge and Kevin Durant's playing sensational. He's been carrying this team for the last two years, carried them throughout the playoffs when everyone else was hurt. And Kyrie Irving, we'll see if he does end up coming back. They don't have to rush to make a decision right now because they're playing well, but if they do end up in a bad slump, you wonder if they either have to force something onto Kyrie Irving or maybe even trade him or trade him for another point guard to be a placeholder. Patty Mills has played well in certain games, but he's not really a guy you could trust long term to be that flashy ball movement type point guard and the offensive threat anywhere close to what Kyrie Irving is. And, and how
1: about Washington being the number one seed right now in the Eastern Conference? Who would have thought that? Now, Bradley Beal, people are talking about Bradley Beal getting traded in the offseason. Why would Bradley Beal want to leave this team if they're at the top of the Eastern Conference? I don't see him going to the Celtics, and they still have control no. of his contract. Why would he leave? Now I know Jeff from Tampa who listens to the sports loudmouths, he wants to see him go to the Celtics. I can't see the Washington Wizards trading him if they're playing this well. And there's, a lot of the young players are playing well. A team that's really taking a step back is the Miami Heat, where everybody was like, watch out for this Miami Heat team. This Miami Heat team is healthy. The only person they're missing is Olin Depot. When they do get him back, he does add offense to the team, but we don't know what he is. Miami has not played well, and Jimmy Butler, last two games, has not played well either. Mm-hmm. So if Jimmy's not playing at the top of his game, this team is not a playoff team. Tyler Hero's playing great basketball. He's the only one playing good basketball right now for Miami. And then Charlotte Hornets, who started off the season as the second seed, have fallen in <laughs> the 10th seed, and I think they're going to fall even further because I think Boston's better, Indiana is better and the Atlanta Hawks are better I think slowly but surely Charlotte will move down as a 13-14 seed and, and they'll fall out of it especially with injury this is not a good team so the Eastern Conference is winnable as far as the Western Conference is concerned we do know about Golden State right now if the season were to end people would say that Steph Curry is the MVP this team is playing great basketball Wiseman Their youngsters are playing well. Wiggins is playing well. And they don't even have Klay Thompson yet. Wait until they get Klay Thompson back. And maybe this will be a different team. Maybe this team is playoff bound. Maybe this team is championship bound. I don't look at this team as a full-edge team. And what I mean by that is a team that is the team to beat in the Western Conference. Because there are three teams that are not playing good basketball right now that I still think are better than they are the Los Angeles Lakers, Utah all around better than them. Right, are. We expect them to regress from the yes. one
2: seed, but we still think they'll be good. And
1: another team that I think is going to be better than them, because they got their point guard back, is Denver. When these teams start to figure things out, I don't think Portland is as bad as they are. I don't think Memphis is as bad as they are right now. Mm-hmm. It's just, I think these teams are a lot better than they look. But again, it's early in the season, and we're going to see how these things play out. But with the Timberwolves 3-7, looking at this team, are they going to trade Carl Anthony Towns? Are they going to trade yeah. Anthony Edwards? And there's a lot of people that believe that with the talent that they have, they should be winning more than this. They lost six games in a row. They don't look like they're getting any better. So maybe they've got to rebuild. And with Alex Rodriguez there now running the team with Loria, I think that they might decide, you know what, maybe it's a rebuild stage. Maybe we need to start to rebuild. We're not winning with the players that we have. So it's going to be very interesting as the season progresses where some of these teams go with their superstars.
2: Hey Celtics, Carl Anthony Towns, that's the call you should be making, not Ben Simmons. Well, I
1: don't think they'll get Carl Anthony. I
2: don't think they will either. They should at least try to do that, not get Ben Simmons. They're going to have to
1: give up a significant Significant amount oh, of, of course. Significant I'm not denying that. Yeah. But that's a better realistic trade of those draft picks than Ben Simmons. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some baseball and hockey. As you know, the New York Mets still don't have a precedent. Still don't have a GM. They have Sandy Alderson. They have an owner. Oh, <laughs> I would say this is the first time I can honestly say that almost 30 people interviewed for two different positions that decided they didn't want to go to the Mets. They didn't want to leave their organization. Or they just don't want to run the organization under Steve Cohen. I don't know what's going on. This is a crazy story. Winter meetings are starting. The strike. The Yankees. Are they going to sign Correa? Are they going to trade for Olson? So when we come back, we'll get into some baseball. And the New York Rangers are right now one of the hottest teams in hockey. And the New York Islanders, hey, they haven't even played a home game. So we're going to slap them around? Or we are going to start to attack them when they start to play their home games? I'm very interested to hear what the fans think about the New York o- so far in the first 12 games of the season. When we come back, we'll get into that here on The Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. There's a lot going on in baseball, and we don't even know if they're going to go on strike. Some people believe that this could go all the way on to the beginning of the season, and there might be a shortened season again. And we've seen this in 1994. Baseball practically missed our whole season. 50 games that they played with everything that's happened with COVID. You don't want to miss any of the 162 games this year. You want the Players Union and League to figure things out so they can have a full, great season. But a lot of players that are going to be available this offseason, they want to get their contract signed before they strike because... If there isn't a season and they're not under contract, they're not going to get paid for the time that they're going to be out. So guys like Justin Verlander, who is throwing bullpen sessions, he wants to get signed. He wants to make sure that he is under contract before this strike starts because the winter meetings are going on. So you know the owners and you know the league and the players are trying to negotiate a deal right now. And it doesn't look like it's going to be finished before the season starts. So Speedy, you're a big baseball fan. What are your thoughts with the strike? And are we going to miss time for the MLB season? I think we will. I don't know if we'll miss as much as 1994.
2: Before, but I think they're definitely going to miss time. I think there's a lot of different rules being divided upon, and I think the other big issue is free agency. When it comes to the discrepancy in guys getting contracts now, it's they're paying a lot of the young guys, which rightfully so. There's a lot of the younger guys entering free agency earlier. We've seen it with Tatis, we've seen it with Machado, Harper, guys like that that have gotten huge, huge contracts. As a result, the veteran players, especially hitters, especially corner outfielders, first basemen, positions that aren't as big a priority as something like third base, shortstop, center field, aren't getting paid the big bucks. And I think that's the divisiveness that you're... You're seeing from teams and also in general you just have a big payroll discrepancy with the Dodgers and the Red Sox and the Yankees you know now the Mets having all this money and the bottom feeders are just so low that it's hard for them to get anywhere competitive balance and the league office wants that kind of competitive balance so the players now because they're trying to overload and sign with all these new teams these flashy teams it's going to be a big issue for them they have a strong players association so I feel like they will end up holding out as a result I think you're going to see 120 game season I think the playing time also makes a difference for them too they get worn out throughout the season.
1: I think it's going to be very, very interesting. And talking about a team that is very interesting right now is the New York Mets. They're always interesting, just usually for the wrong reasons. I don't know what's going on with this team. I don't know why they don't have a GM yet in place. I don't understand why they don't have a president in place. Now, there is a lot of people that they've reached out to. And none of these executives want this job. Now, I don't know what it is. Maybe it is Steve Cohen. I don't think it is. And if it is, why would you want want to run an organization with a guy that obviously has deep pockets? Look what he did with late he outbid himself for Francisco Lindor. Nobody was going to give Lindor $300 million, but he gave him three hundred and forty because he can. With this whole Javier Baez thing, what is going on with the New York Mets? We never even know what's going on with Jacob DeGrom half the time because he's hurt. He's not. Nothing that comes out from the New York Mets organization that makes any sense. And the stories that you read over here in New York is, oh, they don't want to come to New York. They don't want the pressure of the press, and they don't want the pressure of the fans. That's a bunch of you-know-what. You would want to come over here and dragon. slay the dragon. The Mets haven't won a World Series since 1986. So if you can come into New York, you build this team. Theo Epstein being one of them. And Theo Epstein did interview for the job. But for some reason, Steve Cohen didn't want to give him the money that he wanted. Now, if you can get Theo Epstein to help you rebuild this team, which he did for the Red Sox. He did it for the Cubs. The Cubs that didn't win a championship for over 100 years. Mm -hmm. And the Red Sox that didn't win for, what, 70 years. The Bambino curse. You haven't won a World Series in almost 30 years. You have a chance to bring in Theo Epstein and you you don't want to pay him. Now, I don't know the truth behind it, but he did interview for the job. So he did go in. He did talk to Steve Cohen and he did go and talk to Sandy Alderson. The fact that they let him leave that office has you worried. Maybe he wants to be the VP and maybe he wants to be the commissioner eventually. The fact is... The Mets don't have a GM. They don't have a president. You want Sandy Alderson, a guy that really doesn't want the position, wants to retire, but Steve Cohen brought him in because he trusts him. He wants to move on in his life. You're going to trust Sandy Alderson is going to make the right decisions this offseason to make this team a playoff team, something that they should have been this year? You got so many question marks. What are you going to do with some of this pitching staff? Marcus Stroman. What are you going to do with Noah Syndergaard?
2: Hopefully, he takes the qualifying offer.
1: Otherwise, don't touch him. Conforto, goodbye. Javier Baez. Are you going to re-sign him? Going to let Smith, him go? JD Davis. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. What are you going to do? Your bullpen, did you spent $200 million last year on? Still overpaying for Melia, too. You brought in May. What did that do for you last year? Especially in the second half of the season.
2: Fell apart. Weird, because the Mets, it looked like on paper, were supposed to be the versatile bullpen, and it finally looked like they were being modern. And both Trevor May and Seth Lugo, Lugo had his worst year of his career, and May had his worst year as a reliever, and it's going to be very hard without a GM. And between Sandy Alderson's money ball values and Steve Cohen's wanting to spend, I think they've clashed before. They got Baez, which was great, but one trade deadline piece, a couple off season that was really it when the Mets were supposed to be big spenders, and accumulating debt, I thought they had it, but not the case.
1: You don't know if the Mets are in a position being that there could be a strike season what this identity is going to be this year. You have to re-sign Javier Baez because you traded away a top prospect. You have one of the best infielders in all of baseball. I wouldn't pay him more than $160 million. I think he's going to have to get more than 160. I feel like the market's going to give him more because he's still very young. You're going to tell me that you're going to give Javier Baez and Lindor $500 million in the next 10 years? That's ridiculous. That's the price you're
2: going to have to pay for being a big market team, but also you have to realize, yeah, you can't just be a big market team. You have to make the good moves with it. And that's why I think they're having trouble with this GM search as a whole, too, or president of baseball operations. There's just so many clashing personalities. Sandy has his own ego, too. His values are trying to be personified. Hire me.
1: I'm not a Mets fan, but I'll go in there and I'll do a good job. And if you give me the money and you give me a salary, I'll bring in a guy that's a mathematical genius. I know exactly what the Mets need to make this team a playoff contender, a championship contender team. Let me run the team for two or three years. I
2: guarantee Maybe the Mets need to be the reverse Browns and try to go after like all analytic department guys from other sports. I mean, right
1: now, (laughs) nobody else wants a job, so you might as well hire somebody that's not a big name and let him come in and let him do the job the way he expects it to be run. I definitely can run this team. Maybe you should look at other people besides executives. Look at an analytic guy. Look at somebody that actually knows the game and understands where the game is going and then bring in the person that fits what you're looking for. If you put the right people around one guy, you don't need a top executive to win. Theo Epstein wasn't a top executive when he became the Boston Red Sox GM, learned the game, eventually got a job from Boston, and he was a big transition to the Boston Red Sox and changed the organization. I'm not saying hire somebody off the street, but you start looking past the executives for organizations. Look at AAA, AA. Find somebody that you think would fit the culture for the New York Mets. As far as the Yankees are concerned, we've been hearing trade rumors all week. Luke Voigt and Gleyber Torres going to the athletics for Olsen. I think that would be a terrible move. Now, Olson's a good player. Gold Glover, good offensive player, not great. Gleyber Torres, when he moved to second base, he was a 300 hitter. You do not move away from a guy that's 24 years old. As far as Voigt, I would trade Voigt. Voigt is still one of the best power hitter, first baseman in the league. He came back last year in the second half, played very, very well before he got hurt. I think there'll be a lot of teams interested in Luke Voigt. A lot of teams are looking for a first baseman on the cheap. I would arbitrate him, give Voigt $7 million for arbitration, and move him and get some good young prospects in or make a trade. Maybe Voigt and a prospect for Olsen.
2: Olsen is also one of those guys that, while he is a good power hitter and a nice defensive player, he has had iffy years of batting average too. First I would move baseman. him to third base. I don't know about that. That's a tougher transition going that way. It's easier to go from third to first. In terms of his Ross overall skill set, the strikeouts are still very high and the batting average is still pretty low. So the Yankees, I don't think, really need that type of player. They need more of the high batting average type guy, contact hitter, to go along with D.J. LeMahieu, because the Yankees already have a lot of heavy strikeout guys with Stanton, with Judge, and with Gallo.
1: It's going to be very interesting. I think Brian Cashman has his work cut out for him. I think a lot of Yankee fans are attacking him on why he re-signed Aaron Boone. I am not surprised why the Yankees brought back Aaron Boone. I know a lot of Yankee fans aren't happy about it, and i fought with Tyler for the last couple of (laughs) weeks about it. There's nobody out there that is available that the Yankees could bring in that's a better option than Aaron Boone. Now, if Aaron Boone doesn't win a World Series or the Yankees don't go to ALCS this year... I think Aaron Boone is gone. But they're going to extend him. They're going to give him a three-year deal. There's a reason why they're going to give him a three-year deal. Because no coach is going to go into the season with a one-year deal. It doesn't happen in any sport. They usually extend him two to three years. And they extend them because if they do win, you have them on the cheap. You have them for two years. You don't have to overpay them like a lot of these managers and these coaches get. Because of the championships that they win. You've been arguing with Tyler about Aaron Boone for three years. Aaron Boone is a winning coach. Winning seasons all four years that he's been with the Yankees. Two 100-win seasons back-to-back years. He's the second Yankee coach to do back-to-back 100-win seasons. Not even Joe Girardi has done that. That's coming from all these Girardi fans out there, which, by the way, has not won anything with Philadelphia, and hasn't brought Philadelphia to the playoffs not one time. I have no idea why everybody loves Joe Girardi like he's some special thing. God's gift to the world. In his defense, though, Philadelphia might have the most
2: unmanageable bullpen ever. Gabe Kapler looked really bad there managing that team, which we thought was talented. He goes to the Giants, a team that's supposed to be rebuilding, wins 107 games. Joe Girardi inherits that same team. which we know he was a good manager with the Yankees, and they still can't get anywhere pitching-wise except for Zach Wheeler.
1: Before we go to break, I want to get into some hockey conversation. A lot of people don't like Gerard Gallant. They wanted Mark Messi. I was one of them. I watched the Rangers a lot. I thought Gerard Gallant is a great defensive-minded coach. I think he fits, makes the younger players play his style of hockey, just like Barry Trotz. He's not as good as Barry Trotz, but he's a good coach. He's been successful all over the league for many, many years. I met Gerard Gallant at the draft in Dallas. I met him. Very, very nice. Guy Ashley Sarge knows him very very well introduced That's me surprising. but the Rangers I think made the right choice look at what the Rangers are doing right now they're playing team defense are they a good defensive team they're not but because of the team defense that he preaches and he coaches they're playing good team defense and. Yeah, Panarin's not playing well. a bit of Jad's playing, eh. But you're starting to see some of their young players start to develop. Capo Kako needs to figure that out. And Troopa's actually playing better, who's making $9 million, one of the highest-paid defensemen in the NHL. So getting enough out of him is a good sign for the New York Rangers. Jostorkin is playing fantastic. He's yeah. been A fantastic goaltender for the Rangers this year. And I'll tell you this right now. As long as he continues playing like that, the Rangers will continue winning. As far as the Islanders are concerned, the Islanders haven't had any home games. So it's definitely affected them this year. You start the season, the first 10 games playing away, that's no fun. Not playing in front of your fans. It's a huge difference. Next month, they're going to be playing all home games. So the advantage goes to the Islanders. Because the Islanders are going to have the opportunity to play in front of their fans, on their ice. Home ice advantage is a huge advantage. Right now, the Islanders are playing close to 500 hockey. They have 12 points. They got shut out by the the New Jersey Devils the other day. They didn't play well. Do I think the Islanders are this bad? No. They're only out of first place by, like, six
2: points. Yeah, you're splitting hairs between those wildcard teams right now. And even the Metro in general, there's a lot of them, too. So, the Islanders doing what they do right now, I think, is very impressive. And they'll make up for
1: it later. They're going to get a bunch of home games later in the
2: season. They're going to get a lot of home games because yeah. they haven't played <laughs> right. a home game. Exactly. So,
1: if you look at the Islanders, in the first 11 games, they haven't played one home game. And they're 5-4-2. So, When they start to play their home games, you're going to see it. Now, right now, Carolina has 20 points. The Islanders are eight points behind the the Carolina Hurricanes. The Carolina Hurricanes only played 11 games, and the Rangers have played 13. When the Islanders start playing and start their home games, trust me, the Islanders will start winning. They've lost two games in a row. Do I think the Islanders are this bit? They're not. And Islander fans need to stop. A lot of pressure on this goaltender, this young kid, and this team right now because they're still trying to figure things out. So I'm just letting all the Islander fans out here in Long Island understand. This is one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. This team will be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference by year's end. I guarantee you, there's 82 games in a season, there's a lot of hockey left. And there's no way this Islander team is this bad. Pittsburgh has 14 points. Philadelphia has 14 points. Columbus has 14 points. The Devils have 16 points. The Rangers have 17 points. The Islanders aren't this bad. When they get their home games and next month, I think they have 12 home games. As they should. Games. They're going to have the advantage. And from a travel lag standpoint, at
2: least get it done early in the season. Especially if this stretch like was right near the end of the playoffs or something like that, that would have been a lot worse for the Islanders to have to overcome. Get it over with now. That's not bad at all when it comes to travel. And again, they're not playing terribly amidst all that. They're down. We expected them to be down traveling all like this but getting it done now is a much better sign they're still showing some good things especially with their young players too they've been very impressive with depth which is something that the islanders needed to have that offensive depth going forward especially with wallstrom he's played phenomenally
1: absolutely And, and just wait i believe the islanders will be better than what people expect them to be when we come back ladies and gentlemen the final segment of the week speedy debate wars and crunch time as you guys know we are putting them together because of our great guest we will be back after this We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Superfly PD. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time Only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, we've been waiting for this, and I'm sure all you fans have been waiting for these two segments compiled together as we had our special guest, Dog Kai. Shout out to Dog for joining us. Great interview. If you missed it, go check out the interview when it gets put on our podcast on our website, or you can go to our app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio
0: Network. Speedy Wars. This is the Debate Hour. And now, in this corner, your host, Errol Mars. And in this corner, who gives a sh*t?
2: All right, we start with the NFL this week. Who is a better pass rusher, Dwight Freeney or Robert Mathis?
0: And
1: they both played on the same team. Yep, I did it. I'm going to go with Dwight Freeney. I I think Dwight Freeney did it longer. Now, Dwight Feeney was a dominant pass rusher, especially in the time that they were Super Bowl contenders with Peyton Manning. Now, Robert Mathis, he stayed over there. He retired with the Colts. Dwight Freeney, he left. He went to other organizations uh-huh. and still played very well. So I'm going to go with Dwight Freeney. I'm
2: going to go with Dwight Freeney as well for all the same reasons. The longevity with the Chargers, with Atlanta on that Super Bowl team. Played very well in a 3-4 defense, too, with the Chargers, too, which he didn't play his whole career. I think also the single greatest, in terms of this generation of pass rushers, the best swing wim move of anybody. Like, that's unique in itself, really pioneering that. Robert Mathis had great moves as well, and had good longevity as well later in his career, but Dwight Freene, I think, was more revolutionary, so I am going to go with him.
1: Better first baseman, Derek Lee or Adrian Gonzalez? Adrian Gonzalez. Now, Derek Lee He had a good three, four years. But Adrian Gonzalez, he had a good eight or nine years. And he was a great defensive player, power hitter. When he was on the San Diego Padres, he's arguably the best first baseman in baseball for how long? I would say five, six years. He's not a Hall of Famer. Both of them are not Hall of Famers. Adrian Gonzalez was going to be a Hall of Famer if he wasn't injury-prone as he was. Derek Lee wasn't, so I'm going to go with Adrian Gonzalez. Yeah, I'm
2: going to go with Adrian Gonzalez as well. I think his defense, when he was a leaner first baseman at the beginning of his career, he hit for much higher batting averages in his prime than Derek Lee did. Derek Lee had some great years with batting average as well with the Cubs on those teams that went to the NLCS a bunch of times, but I'm going to go with Adrian Gonzalez as well. I think his longevity, even with the Dodgers too and the Red Sox, even though he had overpaid with the Red Sox, I still think he had a good stretch with them too. So I'm going to go with Adrian Gonzalez. All right, let's go to hockey. Better winger, Martin San Luis or Alexander McGilney?
1: Uh, Alexander McGilney and Martin St. Louis. What he did with the Rangers with his mom passing away was fantastic. His last hurrah as an NHL player going as far as he did in the NHL playoffs. But Alexander McGilney, the way he did it in the time that he did it in the 90s, when you compare to Sergei Fedorov, when you compare to all the greats, the Nicholas Lindstroms, Pavel Bores, he was a fantastic player, goal-scoring, offensive player, sensational player. He went from the Buffalo Sabres... To the other organizations he played for, he was still a top goal scorer. So I'm going to go with Alexander McGilney I'm going to
2: go with San Luis because I think it's very impressive for a player his size to be able to do what it was. And, and you look at the league now with a lot of speed and skill guys, a lot of these smaller guys getting in the league now. I think March Hansen, Louis Louis had a big influence when it came to that. McGilney was phenomenal. He was a fantastic player, even with Buffalo as well before he went to Detroit. But I think San Luis, playing as long as he did, doing what he did with the Rangers and even the playoffs with Tampa, had a couple great stretches in that Stanley Cup run, and even a couple of years after that as well. And for a guy his size, I think that's very impressive. So I'm. I'm. I'm going to go with San Luis. All right, one more before we go to crunch time. Better NBA coach so far in their career.
1: Rick Carlisle or Eric Spolstra? I'm going to go with Eric Spolstra. First of all, he's been under... Pat Riley, one of the greatest coaches of all time, one of the greatest GMs of all time. Learning under greatness, you become great. Spolstra, if you know the story about him, he was a video guy all those mm-hmm. years right. under Pat Riley. He had to learn the game before he got an opportunity to be an assistant coach on the bench of Pat Riley. And he got to learn under Stan Van Gundy. He got to learn behind the Van Gundys and all the different people that Pat Riley had under his belt. Even Tom Thibodeau's of the world. So I'm going to go with Eric Spolstra. He won the championships. Even I know he had LeBron James and Dwayne Wade, but even what he's doing right now with the team with not those superstars, and even last year when they went all the way to the finals with that team, with just really Jimmy Butler. So I'm going to say Eric Spolstra. Alright, I'm going to agree and disagree with you. I agree with you, Eric Spolstra's
2: run without LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh is more
1: impressive coaching
2: than he did with those three. But I'm going to disagree with you and take Rick Carlisle, because I think he's done it in more different years. The Western Conference has always been stronger than the East, and I don't think the rosters for Dallas were as good in comparison to a lot of those Western Conference powerhouses with the Spurs, with the Lakers, the Nuggets when they had Carmelo Anthony and Allen Iverson, those teams like that. Different strike is obviously Golden State later on and they still made the playoffs pretty consistently as a, even if they were a lower seed obviously they won the NBA, NBA Finals as a four seed I think it was the best underdog run we've seen in a long time And with all these super teams getting a team like that to win is very hard to do so I am going to take Rick Carlisle so that is debate wars for this week and now we move on to crunch time
0: it's time for crunch <laughs> time gotta
2: all right, we'll start in college football. Number eight, Oklahoma will lose their first game against
1: Baylor. At Baylor. I'm going to sell that. I don't think that's going to happen. I think when I look at the big picture of, of what Oklahoma has done this year, even with a backup quarterback, he started the season with a high-profile quarterback that everybody thought was going to be a superstar and a first-round draft pick. Now he falls out. You give it to your big-time five-star recruit, and he takes over as a freshman and plays unbelievable football. I'm going to go with Oklahoma. I'm going to sell that.
2: I'm going to sell it, too. I think Baylor's been a nice story this year. They've been a good defense as a whole, the whole coaching changes after Matt rule left and really grown that program back nicely. But I think Oklahoma's loss will come in the bedlam rivalry, the Oklahoma state game. I think that will be the one they end up losing. I think they hold on and win. This will be a close game. I think this will be a lower scoring game than people expect to. We've seen a lot of them in the big 12 so far this year. I'm going to agree with you. I am going to sell it Buy or sell both Dalvin cook and Austin Eckler have a hundred plus rushing yards. I'm going to
1: buy it. I think both guys are destined to do that. You have two of the top running backs to two running backs that do everything, right? Run the ball up the gut. They run the ball and catch the ball in the backfield sensational players. When you match out the defenses on both of these teams, both defenses have problems stopping the run, so I'm going to buy that. I'm going to sell
2: it. Minnesota's done well against the run. I think Eckler will get 100 plus not scrimmage Not in every game. Not 100 game. plus scrimmage yards, yes, not rushing yards. I think receiving he'll do very well because the Viking safeties have been iffy in coverage. Even Harrison Smith hasn't had the same year he's had in the past. I think Dalvin Cook will. The Chargers, I think, are the third worst run defense in the NFL this year, but I don't think Eckler will, so I'm going to sell that. All right. So You mentioned Matt Olsen for the Yankees. Matt Chapman has also been rumored for the Mets. So by or sell one of the Oakland Mats will be in New
1: York. I'm gonna buy that. It's destined what's gonna happen. Olsen was destined to be a Yankee last year, so I'm not surprised that the Yankees and Brian Cashman's interested in Olsen again this year. I'm gonna buy one of these guys, or maybe even both of these guys, will be playing in New York next year. I'm gonna sell it. I, I think Matt
2: Chapman, if it would have happened, it would have happened last year for the Mets. I, they were much more interested. Now they have Beatty coming up. You're not gonna see them push as hard. And the Yankees, I think if they're gonna trade with the Athletics, I think it's gonna be more of a smart trade than it is an aggressive trade to go after Matt Olsen. The Yankees are gonna make aggressive trade. It's either it be for a pitcher or maybe for a catcher or center fielder or something like that. We've heard Brian Reynolds a lot. I don't think they're going to be over-aggressive for Matt Olson, so I'm going to sell it. Alright, buy or sell? Alexander Ovechkin will pass Brett Hole's goal record in the next two games.
1: I'm going to buy it. I think that Alexander Ovechkin is showing you that he can still score the goals. He's played great hockey with a team that's really is slowly but surely getting older and more depleted in certain aspects of their game. And they're not as prolific as they were when Barry Trotz was there, so I'm going to buy that he will. I'm going to buy it too. I think
2: Ovechkin is, is due. He's had a, l- a little bit of a drought. Then he got the power play goal two games ago, and I think he's starting to start to get it going again. I think he just had a small drought, and I think two goals—the the magnitude of it—they're in a kid who made his NHL debut who got uh, 21 saves. I think they'll be fired up from that. And they're going to get hot, and I think Ovechkin's going to be a big part of that. So I am going to buy it as well. He's got 22 points in 13 games. Yeah. Very impressive showing. Buy or sell? Carmelo Anthony will finish with more points per game at the end of the season
1: than Russell Westbrook. I'm going to sell that. I don't believe that. Russell Westbrook's a better player. Carmelo Anthony's more of a six man on a bench. Russell Westbrook will figure things out. I think he's still a good offensive player that could still put the ball in the net. I just think slowly but surely he's going to have to figure it out offensively. Obviously LeBron James isn't playing right now. It takes a lot of pressure off him as a point guard. I'm going to sell that Carmelo Anthony will not have more points than Russell Westbrook.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think once LeBron James comes back, Russell Westbrook is going to end up, I think, scoring a lot more of points because he's not going to be passing as much. I think as a result, I think you're going to see Russell Westbrook not necessarily shoot more because he's not a great shooter, but score the basketball a lot more. And LeBron will take over some of those facilitator duties. So I think his points per game will go up. I don't think Mel's will regress too badly. I think he'll still play very well, especially with LeBron coming back. But I don't think it'll be at the end of the season, so I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Derek Carr will have more passing yards than Pat Mahomes.
1: I don't think it's going to happen. I think Pat, Pat Mahomes is going to have to put up a big display this week, especially the way he has played. Played over the last couple of games and throughout the year. Uh, Kansas City, this is a must-win for Kansas City. They're going to need a big showing for Pat Mahomes, so expect it. I'm going to sell that Derek Carr will not have more yards than Patrick Mahomes.
2: I'm buying it. I love the matchup for Derek Carr this week. I love it for Darren Waller. I think he has a big game as well. And the, Chief, uh, the Raiders' defense has been very good this year, especially in that secondary. Two good pass rushers. Casey Hayward's had a nice year, and I think they're going to take out, again, one of Kelsey or Hill, and when that's happened, Patrick Mahomes has gotten a lot of turnover problems, and I think... I think that'll fluster him just a little bit in this game. Not a lot, but a little bit in this game where Derek Carr has more. So I am going to actually buy that one. All right, buy or sell. Number 19, Purdue, who's pulled off a couple upsets lately, will cover the minus 21 spread at number four, Ohio State.
1: I'm going to sell it. I don't think it's going to happen. First of all, Ohio State... is is, is slowly but surely is moving in in the top four. I'm very surprised. I didn't think they were a good team. They lost against Oregon in the beginning of the season, Uh, but they've played very good football ever since then. So I'm going to sell that. I'm going to buy it. They've played well
2: defensively, too. Ohio State's had a lot of trouble in the trenches. They've had streaky running the ball. Again, I think they'll still win the game. They'll still win probably by 10, by 13, something like that. But Purdue has hung tough. They just beat Michigan State. They beat Iowa earlier in the season with that defense. So I do think they will keep it close for a while. They're not going to win the game, but they will keep it close. So I I'm going to buy it. Uh, I'm going to buy that. All right. Buy or sell both Kirk Cousins and Justin Herbert will have 300 plus yards passing.
1: I'm going to sell that. Uh, I do not believe that's going to happen in the game. I think the running, the the running games, I I do believe, I think you're wrong about that. I think both guys are going to run over hundred yards in one way or another. Um, As far as the quarterbacks, I think Justin Herbert will have a better game offensively than Kirk Cousins. I just think uh, Kirk Cousins, especially Uh, being that the the pressure is on him, and, and Kirk Cousins needs to win this game. I, I don't I just, I just don't trust Kirk Cousins in a big game like this, so I am going to sell that.
2: I am going to sell it, too. I don't think they both have it. I think the running games are still going to be good. I'm not I'm not just I'm saying Eckler's not going to rush for 100. I think he's still going to be efficient. He's still going to be effective. And Dalvin Cook's going to be good. So I, I don't think... I actually don't think either one of them passes. I agree with you. Herbert's going to probably have more passing yards. The Viking secondary has been bad this year. But I, I, I do think both of them are close to it, but neither of them get it. I will sell it. Alright, two more, both in the NFL. OBJ will have 500-plus yards and 6-plus touchdowns in his half-season with the Rams. Uh,
1: what? What was that again?
2: OBJ will have 500 plus yards and six plus touchdowns with the Rams. In sell the short that.
1: Season. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, it's, it's too short. He's got to learn the offense. It's going to take two weeks to figure out the offense. And by the time he learns the offense, he's going to probably have 300 yards and maybe off six touchdowns. But he's not going to have over 500 yards. So I'm going to sell. it.
2: I'm going to sell it. I agree with you. I, I, I'm going to. I agree with you. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to disagree. I think he gets the yards. I don't know if he gets the touchdowns. Though, I think just, he gets the touchdowns. I, I think they have too many different targets to get the touchdowns. And they have two good. Uh, uh, they have uh, Daryl. Henderson is doing well as a running back. Even Sony Michelle started to play a little better too and he's going to get a lot more uh, touchdowns as well. So I actually, I I agree and disagree with you at the same time. All right, one more. Uh, Cam Newton will start all remaining games for the Panthers, barring injuries.
1: Cell, that's not going to happen. As soon as Sam Donald gets uh, healthy enough to play, they're going to put him in. I know everybody loves Cam Newton, but Sam Donald is still the future of this organization. He's still the starting quarterback and and obviously when they get their running back, their star running back, which they are, uh, he's going to play a big part in the offense, so I am going to sell that.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell it too. I think Cam Newton. I don't know if he'll play consistently well enough in order to do that too. Where I think Sam Darnold will have some games where he's going to come back. He's going to. Te- they're going to test him out, especially if they
1: do get in, in the next season. So I'm going to sell it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is our show. I want to thank uh, obviously Pro Football Focus NFL reporter Doug Hyde. It was a great interview. Thank you, Doug. Uh, all the fans that listen to us, all the Islander fans, keep cheering, and the Ranger fans too. They're playing good. Uh, they're playing good hockey. Let's pray that the Jets put on a good display of a game against the Bills this year. At least stay in the game, and and maybe the Giants win and they get themselves into the playoff uh, talk. So a lot of stuff something. going on, and the and obviously the Knicks and the Nets. Let's go Knicks! When we come back next year, next next year, when we come <laughs> back next week, we'll have a lot, and I'm sure we'll have a guest. So definitely stay tuned. Until then, this is Errol Marks of Speedy PD saying good night, and we'll talk to you then. Good night, everybody.